I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. What we have here is the original after-school club specials on Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, and Morbius. So these are my first impressions of the films, having just got back from the cinema on that day. And those first impressions haven't changed. So consider these the shows. Okay, Venom 2, colon, Let There Be Carnage. Uh, now, I've held this back for uh, several weeks, uh, mainly because we had the Halloween series to get through, but also because I kind of wanted to let it uh, kind of die down a little. Uh, when the first one came out, I, I, I saw it almost immediately and came back with a scathing, you know, okay, right. And it was a lengthy, like, sort of, I described to you the world of Venom and how they were doing what they were doing with the thing that they had pieced together from what was clearly supposed to be a different kind of movie. And then after I finished covering it, it became hugely popular. Venom did massive, massive money. The original got like 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. This one's got like 60%. 
but I actually think the first is better because I have more to talk, had more to talk about, I had more to craft there with that than I do here, which is, did you like that film? We've got another film that feels very, very like that film. Like, they, they were definitely catering to an audience to the point where Bob uh, pointed out that it, it also still feels like they made a movie that was going to be something else, and then they kind of reshuffled and jumbled it around until it felt the same kind of, uh, here you go, this Venom. I mean, it's Venom, and it's Carnage. Do you like that? And I'm going to go ahead and guarantee that people will like that. Because I've seen folks say, I had great fun with Venom 2, and I don't know why anyone wouldn't have fun. If you don't like Venom 2, then you don't like fun, which... Is often what people say about films that don't have a lot else in them. Yeah. But on the other hand, I don't want to sound like I'm one of those snooty motherfuckers who's like, like, oh, (laughs) you like Marvel films, do you? Well, I, I like real pictures. Mm, My favourite Dracula is Nosferatu. R2, the F.W. Murnau version from 1922. Yeah, as well, quite. Um, <laughs> you know how much I like fun. Fun is really important to me. Um, okay, so this was a film um, that RVR had produced in 2003. And it does, it, it spends the whole time reminding you that it is, in fact, what? That makes it like an 18-year-old film now. Like, it was made around the same time as Daredevil and um, Hulk. and uh, But just after the first Spider-Man. But RVR Ed was definitely... You know, no, she's looking at me quizzically. Oh, no, sorry. I watched it and felt like it was from the year 2003 and that Drowning Pool should have been on the soundtrack. Okay. Um, You're a sucky bugger, aren't you? <laughs> Just now. You could have just stopped at Avi Arad produced it. And I'd, oh, well, yes. Then it's I'm mystified. Show. I'm like, whoa, Avi Arad, they still make you? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, he must be in his 90s now. <laughs> For context, folks, Avi Arad was uh, the head of Toy Biz in the 90s. And he brokered the deals between Marvel and uh, this toy line to make all the figures. They made loads of inexpensive, basic but very colourful X-Men figures and Spider-Man figures and Fantastic Four figures and Hulk figures. And uh, each figure set got a cartoon. And some of those cartoons are beloved and well-known and and, and remembered and celebrated like X-Men and Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Radioactive Spider-Man. It's worth noting that X-Men 92 is so popular, we're getting an X-Men 97. And others are... The Fantastic Four, uh, The Incredible Hulk. Everyone's forgotten The Silver Surfer, which is probably on Disney Plus if we go check it. It has very, like, bright Jack Kirby-style artwork. I'd like to see it, especially if it's been up res to HD. Confirmed. The Silver Surfer cartoon is on Disney Plus, and all 13 episodes of the single Forgotten Season are there. I'm going to watch that. Editorial note. We watched it. It's really good. Better than the X-Men and Spider-Man animated series of that era. And I do not say that lightly. And we've done an after-school club on it. But, you know, uh, people don't remember the Fantastic Four cartoon uh, all that warmly.
Like, Arad was there then and is still here now, still making money off of Marvel. Uh, at, the, at the time, because Marvel had thrown all their money into X-Men and, and Spider-Man variant Chromium covers because the comic bubble was expanding and expanding, when it burst, Marvel were fucked and they had to rely on this toy company. Gotcha. And they sold everything to all the other studios, which is why we still, to this day, have, well, we're going to make a Spider-Man film, say Sony, and constant contract renegotiation between Sony and Disney because Sony still have Spidey. Yeah. And why I And am... they're all related characters. Indeed. And why I am always making jokes about them putting the doors on eBay because that's yeah. how bad it got. Marvel pretty much had to almost sell another no, they did. They sold the doors of their offices. Mm. Good God. Indeed. And, and Stanley and sell you his rug. It does make me wonder, actually, if, um, given that Avi Arad was obviously involved in a lot of this negotiation, um, that when they brokered the deal with Disney, he said, you get me one of those, uh, one of those Emperor Palpatine life pods. <laughs> I'm oh my god! Sleep in that. So, like, we 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 drift sideways over a bucket of RVRAD clones. Yikes! Okay, so we just saw the Blair Witch Project, and uh, you were talking about how uh, Willow kind of bought into it, and we said the one question we can't answer until the very end is: is was this real or not? So Willow was really engaged. And then we told Willow about the uh, actual the, the the making of it and and a lot of the backlash reaction from people who are like, you said this film was really really effective, but it was just boring and people shouting in the woods, and um, you know whether you like or dislike that film, um, you said that the to me just before we started this that the documentary uh, threw up alarm bells because they don't allow uh, journalists to talk to. Um, mass murderers no. they don't um and i just grinned from ear to ear because the entire premise for venom colon let there be carnage is that they do allow journalists one particular journalist to interview one particular mass murderer because everyone wants to know uh, about this particular mass murderer because he's brilliant because he went on a murder spree in Sometime or another. Um, are they, uh, Cletus Cassidy, played by Woody Harrelson, who you saw at the end of the first uh, movie, and he was wearing a sort of an auburn hobbit wig at the time, and went, there's going to be carnage, and it will truly be a planet of the carnage. And they dispensed with the hobbit wig this time, although at times he does look like... He's come from the uh, 1997 film Romeo plus Juliet. He looks like Ben Volio. He's got a completely different rug this time, and it's kind of like this syrup of figs mm. on his head. It's red, and he's got like a red Hawaiian shirt and a black uh, leather jacket, and he's running around the place and jumping around. And it, just, it made me feel like, man, you've been incarcerated since the 90s, so to you, this is a movie from 2003. Do you bat your thumb at me, sir? Yeah, at one point, like, he uses his carnage powers to go into the shadowy internet, and it's like a, a, a rad metal internet. Like, he's hacking into an asylum, and it's like, it, the, the web page is made of blood. And it's like, asylums don't usually, uh, like, decorate their web pages in blood. They do in 2000 films, because those were stupid. 
But these days, they, t- they tend to sort of, like, think, oh, hang on a second, this is dumb. Asylums don't generally have to advertise. Like, like... <laughs> In the in the would Joker advertise it with his clown sign? I mean, like, well, like, yeah. oh, have you got a nutter? Send them here, <laughs> just on the street, having a dance. We're going out of business. My life. Okay, I. We I have to advertise that we've got spaces to rent for nutters. I completely understand now why what you mean about it coming from two thousand and three. Is it still Woody Harrelson? It is still Woody Harrelson. Oh, yeah, okay. he just looks like Benvolio. Mm. It's like part fools, you know not what you do. He's become obsessed with Eddie, and it's never clear why. Like, Eddie interviews him, and then does a scoop, and then he brings him back. And it's like, I know why he's supposed to be obsessed with Eddie. It's because that's Clarice Starling, and that's Hannibal Lecter, and you want to get in on this sweet, sweet Hannibal Lecter money from that movie that came out just a few years ago, The Silence of the Lambs, Avi Arad, living in the 90s. But they really, really try to sell you that there is some kind of stored-up connection between Eddie and Cletus. And because the movie is an hour and 37 minutes long, that's really short for a superhero movie, it should just whip by. It should be whip quick. But I was sat there going, oh my God, how much longer? An hour and 20, oh my God, how much longer? An hour and 15, oh my God, how much longer? An hour and 17, oh my God, it just dragged and dragged and dragged. And yet, and yet, it still felt really choppy. Like they'd cut huge chunks out of it. I felt like there were half of reels missing because it was, like I say, trying to really establish that there's this connection and it's just not there on screen. Carnage is a very problematic character. I said this way back when the, we did covered the original Venom film. He shouldn't have been in Spider-Man. The reason he was in Spider-Man in the early 90s was because it was 90s and edgy. He's a Venom who got mixed with blood and, you know, got into a crazed serial killer, a sociopath. And uh, he's, he just likes to kill people. And so, like, he makes his tendrils, like, shoot through their heads and things. And, like, that happens in the comic, the the big crossover event, Maximum Carnage. And he just killed lots of people. That doesn't work in a Spider-Man context. That's wrong for Spider-Man. That's too dark for Spidey. Mm. Like, one person died, and it shook the entire world. It was, you know, Gwen Stacy, and then Captain Stacy died. Like, you, you, don't, you don't have a mass murderer in Spidey. Also, that seems kind of, from, from what I understand of the... Symbiote. Yeah. Part of the point of it existing and combining with a human mm. is that it in, it then encourages that human to act on their impulses mm-hmm. and frees them from whatever human I can't possibly do. This. Yeah, and if they're a serial if killer, they're a serial all they're really killer, doing is making a serial killer doing superpower. That. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but okay, you can't have that in a Spidey movie, but. This isn't a Spidey movie. This is a Venom movie. Yes. So you can feasibly have a serial killer in a Venom movie. But you can't have Carnage in a PG-13. And this is most definitely a PG-13. There are loads of people killed in this movie, but it cuts away. 
There are loads of people killed off camera, off screen, in a bit that got edited out during choppy editing. This is poorly edited structurally, like I just said. Mm. It's also poorly edited moment to moment. There's bits like when Michelle Williams gets to be Lady Venom again at almost exactly the same place for almost exactly the same reasons to serve exactly the same function as she did in the original. She transforms from Michelle Williams into Lady Venom. And it sort of, she starts sort of growing up like that and it cuts back to a, a shot of Eddie and then it cuts back to her completing the cycle of, of growth. And it's like, wow, just... You couldn't just let that thing flow naturally and just allow it to wrap around her and just for that to be a really good shot. You had to cut to a reaction shot of Eddie? Well, nothing that's happening to a woman is important unless it's being observed by a man. Okay, but the editing actually gets in the way of the cinematography. This is directed by Andy Serkis rather than uh, the original guy who did Zombieland and Ruben Fleischer's 30 Minutes or Less. That one, that delivery film with Jesse Eisenberg. And there's times like, there's one bit where Carnage sort of launches up towards a a stained glass window. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a really good shot because like, it's a, it's, it's not that horrible dingy lighting where you can't see anything that I normally bemoan, but like, he's about to be haloed in this very gothic lighting and it cuts away from the shot and then it came back in and it's like, it sort of completes the shot. I'm like, no, you, you had it. It was right there. And if you watch carefully, there are so many scenarios where the, the, the effects are actually not too bad. Like, Carnage looks kind of meaty, but they cut away for just a moment. And because they also cut away during the murders, you just kind of get used to the fact that it's like, oh, Carnage is about to do something. He probably did something. Next scene. Next scene. And that plagues the movie. Mm. Like, if this had actually been really bloody... Like, if Carnage had been terrifying, like, he's just, like, slicing heads off and blood geysers, and they'd really leaned into the fact that this is a serial killer Venom, and it's an R-rated movie with Deadpool levels of blood, like, way more than Deadpool levels of blood. Like, Deadpool has, like, ah, oh, comedy uh, deaths, but I'm, I'm talking... N- Upsetting levels no, of no, violence. No. To the point where it actually becomes comic book again. It yeah. goes all the way around. Ninja Assassin. Okay. Ninja Assassin has geysers. Of, of just claret everywhere. And it's to the point where it's operatic and it's it, it becomes unbelievable in because it's so stylized. If they'd leaned into it that hard, that would have made this something different. Instead, because they want the maximum money, they made it definitely a PG-13. Now, Andy Serkis has gone on record and said there was never going to be an R-rated version of this. I was watching it, expecting it to be one of those. Do you remember back in the 2000s, they worked out how to do digital blood or not not to do digital blood? Like, no one's ever liked digital blood. It's kind of okay in in, uh, Ninja Assassin. They kind of mix it between practical and a lot of digital, but again, it goes so over the top. But you can put it on a slider and go, so what do we want, an R? Yeah. Push it up. Push it up. Uh, And then PG-13. Dial it back. So in the cinema, it would be PG-13, and then on DVD, they would ramp it up to the unrated version. And I just, I, I felt like I was watching the theatrical version of what would then become an unrated version. Mm. So when I got out and I was like, no, 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 there was never going to be a, a, anything other than a PG-13. I was like, first of all, it's a, it's a 15 in the UK and it's an incredibly tame 15. You know the way when, when I saw the, um, uh, the Once Upon a Deadpool Christmas special thing yes. where they took all of that violence out of Deadpool 2? Yes. That's what this is. It's still a 15. Mm. 
I think just because it's just it just edges a little like there isn't a splash of blood. It's like watching the TV Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Like it's all about vampires and we aren't allowed to show a spot of blood. This is a creature made of blood. Mm. But he's kind of... Maybe that's why they keep cutting away from him. <laughs> well, no, he's not gooey, yeah. if that makes sense. Like, yeah. he's not dripping blood, like, in a way that makes you feel like he's he's blood. Mm. He just looks like right. Venom, but red. Yeah. We Hate Movies said of Riot, the grey Venom, the villain in the first one, that if you were playing Marvel vs. Capcom 2, and one of you chose Venom, and the other one chose Venom, that's what Riot would look like. Carnage has kind of more tendrils... Uh, yeah, it's, that's pretty much the same. But this, not a splash of blood yeah. in the whole thing. The, it's astonishing. The big... It's like we saw the, sorry, we saw the Werner Herzog Nosferatu uh, yesterday. Yes. And it was really good. Mm. And there's like no blood in the whole thing apart from the point where, uh, is it Jonathan Harker at the beginning? They keep swapping names. Yeah, he cuts Jonathan Harker cuts bread, bread the wrong way and then Nobody cuts his finger. Nobody cuts bread like that. And there's a little tiny spot of blood, but there's barely any blood in the rest of Nosferatu. But it has a sense of the foreboding, mm. so it still feels bloody, even though it's not. Yeah, and the, the what I was going to say was the BBFC, as far as I can tell, lends a lot more weight to context than the MPAA does. Mm. So rather than going, well, there's actual liquid wet blood here on this surface, you can't have that. Yeah. The the context in which that appears will maybe still keep it a 15, mm. even if you don't yeah. have the actual gore. The BBFC will go, well, he still killed that woman. Yes, but there was no blood. Yeah, but he still, like, throttled her slightly off camera. Yeah, we, we, we know what happened. We, yeah. we saw what you did. We know your carnage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's the thing. Like, if they just leaned into it in the UK, they could have been a really bloody romp. You can get a lot of blood into a 15. Mm, yeah. This has got less blood, a lot less blood, than Beowulf. Wow. Which is man on monster violence yeah. and monster on man. Yeah. And that's what this is. You can go away with quite a lot if it's monster on man and man on monster. If only Carnage was green, that'd have been fine. Oh yeah, they'd have loved that. So a uh, key character is Shriek, played by Naomi Harris. Now in the original comic books, around circa the uh, Maximum Carnage era, um, and I think this was uh, written or drawn by Tom DeFalco, um, that Shriek was this like really pale white woman who looked very much like the original version of Domino who, and in both cases, they are now women of color. This version of Shriek is Naomi Harris, who, if you remember, played, um, she only gets given a name in the uh, third movie, Calypso, the voodoo lady in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay, yeah. Tia Dharma, would you brave the weird and haunted shores of World's End? To fetch back Witty Jack. What a great ending that second movie has. Shame about the third movie. Shriek is Calypso with less affectation. If that makes sense. Not that she's playing her more subtle. She's just taken away the quirkiness. Right. Naomi Harris is playing this really aggressive woman who has a sonic scream. And I'm like, ah, cool. Sonic scream. As we all know, symbiotes really don't like fire or sonics. And Cletus Cassidy is in love with her. It's very much a squeaky from Charlie Manson style, sort of m murderous man and murderous woman type thing. Only they didn't actually go on a killing spree. It feels like they should have done because th we cut, like the beginning is like the mid 90s. And I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing. They're making 
Woody Harrelson look exactly the way he did in Natural Born Killers. Bald head, went on a murder spree. He harkens back to, and they show an animated sequence of um, him pushing his grandma down the stairs and killing his mom and getting beaten up by his dad. He talks about his, his horrible upbringing. But it also just kind of seems like he just gleefully killed his parents anyway. And it kind of glosses over the fact that he then went on a killing spree. uh, Eddie, because Venom has a photographic memory, um, spots on the wall kind of a a, a sort of a drawing of an arrangement of hills where Cletus has buried the bodies. And Venom goes on the internet and goes, Alakazam! And then finds those mountains immediately because he's just the Terminatrix. It's fine. It's, It's fine. There's a lot of stuff that we don't hear about the symbiote, and apparently he's lived for a very long time, so there's probably some technology in there as well. That's interesting. Him having lots of secrets and being mysterious, you know, but also being kind of a loser where he comes from. And so Eddie becomes sort of famous because he's found these bodies. Uh, But really the core of this is we get or at least the filmmakers get, that what people liked about the original was the unexpected chemistry between Venom and Eddie and how just seeing them bicker with each other and kind of find one another and kind of conduct a a romance of sorts uh, was edifying to watch. And they lean into it in this one, but nowhere near enough. Like The whole thing is about a breakup. And it's like, okay, so you orchestrate this breakup so that Venom can be away and part of him can end up as Carnage and then Eddie's very vulnerable and Venom has to sort of come back to Eddie and they have to take down Carnage together. And I'm like, that's a great home for drama. And they barely did anything with it. And I was like, wow, imagine if this movie was bloody or dramatic. And there's a point later on where um, Eddie's talking to Venom, who's in Michelle Williams, and he's saying, you know, I was an asshole to you, da 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 I'm like, oh my God, this is being framed as a scene where he's apologizing to Venom, but he's also apologizing to her. But it almost seems like Andy Serkis didn't realize that. And it's like, wow, you, it, you had it. It was right there. I mean, it's still sort of that. And Michelle Williams is kind of the duty adult because Venom and Eddie are boys. And so she's the den mother. And uh, her husband-to-be, Dan, like, she's, she says, I'm going to get married, uh, uh, Eddie. And, um, uh, and, and Venom's like, fuck off, Dan, no one likes you. And <laughs> it, it, that's funny, the whole, like, yeah. And again, they could have sort of brought that into interplay. But because it's only an hour and 37 minutes, mm. it feels like there's a lot of stuff left on the floor. Or a lot of real estate that they could have used to capitalize on the comedy, on the drama, and on the gore. Like, if they'd ramped up all three of those, this could have been a really good movie. And the falling out between Eddie and Venom, like, you've wrecked my life, you're my roommate who's, uh, you know, who's inconsiderate all the time. Venom wants to to eat brains because they, they have a certain enzyme in them which is also only found in chocolate, and Eddie won't let him kill people and eat their brains. So he keeps chickens around the uh, uh, apartment to, to eat them, but Venom's like, chickens' brains are really small, and also Sonny and Cher are best friends, I can't break them up. And it's like, this is charming, I like this, more of this please. No, and then we move on. And, ah! Again, it's fun and it's funny and the interplay's there. 
and it feels like they had something again, but it doesn't go much further than the original. And it almost seems like they were playing it really safe because the original was, um, you know, appealing in a specific way and they didn't want to break that formula. At one point, when, when Venom just goes, I'm fucking, I'm out, splits Phil, I'm going to destroy your TV and your bike, fuck off. And goes to a club and is wearing all of these, just Venom Venom, and I think he's possessed someone else, is wearing all of these sort of um, neon uh, little tubey things. And he sort of gets up on stage, grabs the mic off the uh, MC who was rapping, and starts shouting out to the crowd who love him and think it's an awesome costume. And um, one girl with like a big toothy mask is like, hey, how's it going? That's a great costume. He's like, oh, you're not my type. You know, I am out. I am out of Eddie's life and it's like okay so they're kind of leaning into the gay thing and they do it in just enough of a way that Disney could be associated with it but not so much of a way that they're actually making a statement they're doing it enough for the gays to be happy but not enough for the gays to have actual representation if that makes sense mm, you know it's, it's, it's one of those just enough things and I was like wow the film that this reminds me of most is 22 Jump Street, only not funny. And then I started thinking about a Lord and Miller version of Venom and going, man, it would be so good because they'd do the comedy really well. They'd do the drama really well. They do both of those things fantastically. And they don't usually do gore, but I feel like they could do gore if it was operatic. And then I started thinking, oh, hang on. Uh, Enter the Spider-Verse was Lord and Miller. And then... Enter the Spider-Verse was shown at the end of the original Venom as like, a, if you like this spider thing, you'll also like this spider thing. And as it turned out, we really liked that spider thing. But now there's, it's almost certain that Venom will show up at some point in Enter the Spider-Verse 2. And it's like, okay, could we maybe like lower, lower his, his presence there in some capacity? I know he's popular. I know he's a big seller. But like, you know, I, I feel like he's a very strong flavor. And... As we've established, he can kind of dominate, but that needs to be capitalized on it. It's either, it's either a movie about Venom or it's a movie with Venom in it. Yeah. And it's very difficult to make the second kind. We said this about Spider-Man 3. Didn't Spider-Man 3 is the movie Sam with Rennes. Venom in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But at the time, I remember us saying, this could really have done with, if you were going to put Venom in it, make mm. it a Venom story. Okay, so Shriek that I mentioned ages ago, Naomi Harris, uh, was in the same school for wayward children as Cletus Cassidy. He was being beaten up. She screamed the boys off him in this animated sequence. The animated sequence was one of the best bits. And he fell in love with her. And she was the only light in his life. And they were kind of, like, she got dragged away, taken to, like, because of her sonic scream, she had to go to Ravencroft, which is... Spider-Man Arkham and that's an actual place from the uh, comics okay. uh, and um, on the way there like, she tried to scream at a cop to, to, to make a breakout in the van and the cop shot her in the face the bullet grazed her eye and then she was blown sideways out of the uh, van she survived the cop didn't know this but the cop later turns out to be well, uh, you've already met him. He's this FBI agent who uh, is uh, talking to Eddie about Cletus and he's really interested. Do you remember Tommy from Snatch? He was also in Pirates of the Caribbean 4 as Scroop or whatever his name was. Tommy, the tit, is shiting himself. And if he isn't, he fucking should be. Okay, so he was the guy who hung around with... Um... Bacon. 
Oh, he's called Turkish in uh, yes, Snatch. But... He's bacon in uh, yeah. uh, Lockstock. Uh, Jason Statham. Jason. But he's the one with the giant Magnum hand cannon. Uh, and it's like, you know, protection from who? The Germans. And Jason Statham was very, very funny in those scenes. Well, these, this guy is here. And again, like they're really trying to sell you that Shriek really wants revenge on this one cop because he shot her eye out and they keep like going back to it. And so they, when they gather them together at the end, it's like, uh, um, uh, uh, she goes, I've got my one cop. Cletus, you've got Eddie, who clearly you're obsessed with, even though that's never sold. And Carnage, you're here to kill your dad, Venom, who you have no relationship with because you didn't even exist before. Mm. And it's really, it's, it's, it's this big dramatic thing that has no foundation whatsoever because they don't really sell that sense of connection the reason that venom came from the black suit saga is that spidey wears peter wears that black costume for a long time and becomes a very different kind of spider-man he starts getting aggressive he starts pushing away those who care about him everyone who supports him saying i could do it all myself illustrating to kids how not to behave um, doing things uncharacteristic, and in the Sam Raimi version, he starts dancing. It's awful, and becomes even more detestable, uh, Tobey Maguire. But as a result, the symbiote feels rejected by Peter. He's harboring this insane amount of bitterness, and that combines with someone who already really resents Peter, because Eddie Brock lost his job, and feels that everything in his life that's gone wrong is down to Pete. Eddie himself is an irresponsible journalist, what Peter Parker tries not to be. He's a completely different Eddie from this one. So Venom is a creature born of rejection and hurt, and his entire self-identity is of a dark version of Spider-Man. The absence of that has really impacted these two movies because it's Venom without Spidey. Two films in a row, and all it is is, oh, I'm, I'm Eddie Brock, I'm this kind of mockish, foolish guy, and I'm Venom, I'm kind of this loser too. It's just that the whole way through. And it's fine, but really it's just two guys, and there's not much else there. They kind like they, they don't dis they don't talk enough and the script isn't in inquisitive enough mm. to really start getting personal it needs to be a buddy comedy and they don't lean into that they need to go back to the fundamentals of who they are and they don't like eddie's a loser kind of and he he, he likes the fact that he's a little bit more successful now but he blames Venom for all the chaos in his life. Mm. And ultimately, when they're being shitty with each other, you're like, oh, you know what, maybe you guys do need a separation. But they don't really sell them being pals enough for you to feel that sense of, when I was young, I never needed anyone. I would have loved that scene all by myself. Like, that should be what he's singing in the club, and then Eddie walks in. That would have been great. It's there in spirit, sort of, kind of, but they don't capitalize on it. It is a milk toast, low key version. Like, low key feels like it's purposefully restrained. Mm. It's just uninquisitive yeah. as to what it is. It's just sort of churning. Yeah. Um, I do have one quick question. Um, the scene that you mentioned where. Uh 
Woody Harrelson and Naomi Harris are at the same school for wayward kids mm-hmm. and, and she rescues him and blah blah blah. Roughly how old are they at that point? Oh, um they're they're teenagers when she gets dragged away. Right. They're doing a weird thing where they're sort of putting the their CGI morphing a young man's face to make him look more like Woody Harrelson oh, with old ass Woody Harrelson's voice. Yeah. And the same thing with Naomi Harris and this girl who's trying to voice her and it's like Ugh. So so yeah, so she's around about what, maybe fourteen, fifteen? About so thirty year old Woody Harrelson is being rescued from the bullies. <laughs> Because... Don't she... even... I know, okay. I Woody, know. Put it like this. Woody Harrelson <laughs> is playing a character 30 years younger than he's supposed... He's I, actually yeah. is as okay. an actor. All right, that's fair enough. You can tell by the Hobbit wig and yep. then the syrup of figs with the, the Benvolio shirt. shirt. I get it. Okay. I get it. So Venom really... appropriate symbiote. Venom really, really wants to be the lethal protector because that was what he was called in the comics. Mm-hmm. And they want the people who wore Venom t-shirts throughout the 90s and then the 2000s to air punch when he says lethal protector. Yeah. And he does. And they probably do. Okay. So that's there. Mm-hmm. Because he wants to kill people, mm. bad people. So it's the but same. the fact that he's kind of a shades of grey guy, even though he's black and white, and still doesn't have that distinctive white Punisher-ass-looking spider logo, they never have Eddie question him and go, yeah, but, you know, how can we really talk about bad guys here? Because, you know, we're, we're... I'm doing this more like Tony Stark. How can we talk about bad guys? <laughs> That's Bane! <sighs> There's a point where uh, Mich- uh, Michelle Williams is talking to him and he's exhausted. I expected him to sort of turn around and sort of move around and sort of give her the thumbs up wearily in a kind of, yep, I got it, like Mad Max. But, um, yeah. But like I said, uh, remember what I said about Riot mm. in the original one? I said, what is the point of doing Carnage when you've just done Riot? Riot is a grey venom that kills people. Okay. Carnage is a it's red a venom, venom that, kills that kills people. But they can't use blood in either case. So Carnage is Riot. When it turns out that uh, uh, Car- Carnage isn't actually too keen on Shriek, and uh, when they're about to get married... Uh, Venom and Eddie gatecrash the wedding, and there's a big back and forth up and down. It's like Daredevil fighting in the church. It's set in 2003. It's very gothic. There's a there's some great photography. When Shriek walks up the aisle, she's wearing like this full black Crimson Peak style dress. It's really arresting. And I'm like, again, given time, given space, this could actually be quite eye-catching like you can you can pause occasionally and there are some great frames in here but the editing is so fucking choppy carnage decides after she's like shrieking at venom and sort of uh, and venom's like oh fuck we're going to die like because he's like well we can't beat a red one red ones are really nasty Uh, and Eddie's like, look, do you want to be a hero or not? And he's like, oh, okay, fine. And again, you know, that's that's fine. It felt a bit like Shanghai Noon, a little bit, a bit there. And I feel like, wow, imagine Eddie Brock, but played by Owen oh, Wilson. Wilson. A way better film. <laughs> again, I feel like Tom Hardy was actually miscast for me. Mm-hmm. Everyone else loves it, obviously, but but just not me. Um, Carnage decides he's actually going to kill Shriek when they're up on the top of the bell tower because he's like, well, you know, she, she can do sonic screams. We're just going to fucking get rid of this one. I don't want her in my life. And, and like Woody Harrelson's poking his head out and going, no, don't do that. She's my wife. And like Carnage is like, no, and I'm going to slowly kill her by smothering her. And it's like, dude, 
You can just go with a tentacle and just straight through the eye, like what half a second. Why are you smothering her? And it's so that he can't kill her. And again, with Carnage, like if he was like, well, I could kill her really quickly, but I need you to understand why we need to kill her and I need you to agree with me. And again, that's really dark. But instead, he just slowly tries to kill her because it's thus convenient and she can then get away. Again, another reason why it's very milk toast. they're very edgy about not killing anyone. Like, Shriek ends up, like, falling down and getting a big bell falls on her, but it feels like she could have been under the bell and survived, so she can have her own spin-off called Shriek, a Venom story. Venom picks up the symbiote, the blood stuff, and sort of eats it and reabsorbs it, and I'm like, that doesn't seem healthy. Like it just more hygienic. <laughs> it came out. It came out of Eddie's finger because um, uh, he sticks his hand like an idiot into Carn into Cletus Cassidy's uh, maniac cage, and Cassidy bites his hand and then drinks his blood a little bit. That's probably again the most blood you're going to see in the whole movie. Mm. So Venom is effectively reabsorbing this pollutant, and it's it's like um, I feel like that's going to come back at some point. Mm. I also feel like Shriek might have ended up as a symbiote because there was definitely one with the sonic scream. Her name was Scream. She was yellow. She was a character called Donna Diego. And her history is, after being bonded to the Scream symbiote, Donna went to hunt down Venom and Spider-Man. Alright. They probably wouldn't call her solo film Scream. And they decided against that or something, but it feels like they could bring her back at another point. But again, because they're Sony... Mm. They'd rather build more and more characters towards an, whatever, Sinister 7, Sinister 8, Sinister 9, so that they can have them in later films and just keep milking Venom for his black goop for as long as they possibly can. I do kind of like the idea of a symbiote that, that's attached to somebody who can mm. do sonic screams because then there's this push-pull of, well, I need to do the screams mm. to be a lethal protector for somebody, mm. but if I do, I hurt myself. Oh no, she's a villain. She's like one of oh, the okay. six Venom children oh, okay. who are all trying to kill Venom. Scratch that. But I mean, uh, in Sony's favor, the character of Venom goes beyond Tom Hardy. Mm. And I don't honestly think that this is gonna be a Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark scenario. Like, when Tom Hardy goes, okay, enough, they can slop this black goop onto someone else and keep the same Venom going. Mm. The black goop, doesn't have an agent. Yeah. Like, and you just add. Maybe like, it should. I, I assume the Carnage voice was Woody Harrelson yeah. uh, uh, tone, like roughed up. It's from what you're describing. It sounds like the previs artists and the 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 animation specialists who sort of created all of the stuff before the script and the film itself was actually put together mm. did a really good job and gave them lots of interesting material to work with mm. but then they didn't do anything with it yeah there, there was a creepy advert before the film for, uh, and one of the graphic artists from Venom Let There Be Carnage a, uh, a lady was sort of walking around talking about how when she creates digital art she has to think very very hard about how light would fall upon it and so she has to make models and then examine the way that light falls on them and then we're sort of seeing her at work and then we're seeing a guy who designs cars for the Ford or I don't even know what company it was that's how good the advert was talking about how the creation and the structure they were talking about the creation is an inhale and an exhale you inhale inspiration and you exhale creation and it was 
like you know showing shots of these very luxury cars being made and then venom smashing around in a church and it went the luxury ford car or something and venom let there be carbage in theaters now and it's like we know it's in theaters now we're about to watch it but I guess this was kind of part of their tie-in. Like there be carnage. Carnage. No, don't. Don't kill people with these cars. It's terrible press. Mm. The most appalling publicity. <laughs> um, so, spoiler warning for the very end bit. Uh, but this is uh, kind of a big one. Eddie and, and Venom reconnected. Uh, uh, Venom's like, oh, you better go, Eddie. You know, the police are just after me. And Eddie's like, no, let's stick together. We'll be fugitives on, on the run. And uh, he, st- he says lethal protectors and uh, um, Venom goes, fugitives on the run. And it's like, oh, cool. And then they end up in Sewataneo in um, uh, Shawshank Redemption. And it's sweet. They're on the beach. And it is effectively a bromance. Mm. They're just very light in the loafers in terms of like what they can and can't do because they know that there's a certain contingent of the crowd who'd be like, I am not buying a Venom t-shirt if Venom is straight, straight up said to be gay. Or I am getting this Venom tattoo lasered off me. Mm. So they've got to be careful with that Which crowd. is a bit of a weird way to look at it because he is space sludge mm. at the end of the day. <laughs> well, from the looks of it, he's not interested in the ladies, if you know what I'm but saying. But this is what I mean. He, he technically has no gender. True. But, I mean, really, much like the way Smithers is Burns sexual, yeah, he's, he's only interested really in Eddie. And again, I'm like, why? What do you see in this guy? Apart from <laughs> that you're kindred spirits. And I really felt like an extra reel of that. Mm. Like where Covalent Bonds, Jump Street, look at Jump Street and see how those two get on. Mm. Those two movies are fan-fucking-tastic and hilarious bromances. And that's what these two films should have been. Instead, they were kind of tedious, a little bit rote, kind of played it safe, felt like there was a lot more to them, but that they took it out to make the maximum sales. And obviously the first time around, it sold huge. Second time around, they might do really well because China liked it the first time. Mm. But the big stinger at the end is, there's a sting in this venom. Uh, Eddie is in his uh, motel room uh, on the beach uh, with Venom just watching TV and uh, saying, oh, you, you uh, keep secrets from me? And uh, uh, Venom's like, oh, I'm um, six million years old and, and you know, I've been across light years and light years worth of galaxy and uh, there's many, like, if I told you even one-tenth of it, your human brain would explode. And I'm like, ah, cool. I'd actually really like to hear from this version of Venom. Like, because, like, that's a... Uh, kind of a rowdy, chaotic Doctor Who. And like, could we start with that instead of ending with that? But I mean, yeah, there's there's potential food for the future. And, you know, there's there's all these things. And, and Eddie's like, I don't even understand what you mean. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, you're not even like one of those good assistants to the Doctor. You are a moron, Eddie, and I don't know what he sees in you. Anyway. Uh, and he's like, well, so what are you hiding from me? And then everything goes, and there's sort of bright flashy lights. And then they, boom, suddenly it's daylight. The place is much better appointed. And there's like neat little curled swans made out of the towels on the uh, bed. And it's daytime now suddenly. And they're like, what the fuck? Sorry, one thing I didn't mention. At the end, you know when I said, um, like they, they really, really want 
to be able to keep these IPs going. Maybe they can bring Shriek back. I'm fairly certain they weren't all that interested in Woody Harrelson coming back because... Like, he's like, don't you want to know, Eddie, why I wanted to talk to you so much? I wanted you to be my friend. And Eddie is like, like Eddie should just say, who gives, you murder people, innocent people, who gives a fuck what you think, serial killer? Venom, eat this guy. And that's technically what Venom does. Mm -hmm. Like, Eddie starts talking to him and Venom just goes, fuck this guy, and then eats his brain. So they, Woody Harrelson, Cletus Cassidy, this boring ass serial killer is dead. I don't get why people think Carnage is a cool character. He's not even visually cool, especially if he can't kill people in horrendous bloody ways. That's the only way he would have been cool and interesting. He's made of blood and spikes. So, like, what are you doing anyway? So they're now in the thing, the room and it's daytime and on the TV there's a sort of a crazed bald newscaster uh, or entertainment newscaster. I think they probably have to say uh, to say that because there's a clause in the content uh, when when it actually becomes not news at all, merely super right-wing conjuncture. And he's going, this menace, this Spider-Man! And it's J. Jonah Jameson and he's giving the Tom Holland is Spider-Man speech. And there's a shot of Tom Holland's Spidey unmasked from what Mysterio's thing in Far From Home. But they have jumped to the MCU. And Eddie's like, what the fuck is going on? And Venom sees Peter on screen and goes, licks the TV screen and goes, oh my God, that guy. And it's like, oh, he's met Peter before. That's interesting. What about that? See ya. <laughs> But it's Tom Holland, Spider-Man. Yeah, he lit Tom Holland. I mean... <laughs> I still feel like he's a child. Yeah. Anyway, everyone knows Venom never got to meet Peter Parker in this universe. What my stinger presupposes is... Bringing it back to uh, Owen Wilson. Maybe he did? <laughs> so, and again, this brings me back to just plonking Venom into the Spider-Verse to hog the camera. This is like your tedious... Loud uncle who everyone but you thinks is rad. You've been around with him when he's really drunk and self-loathing. You know what a hunk of shit this guy is, really. He's got a good heart, but he fucks everything up. And it's like that loud uncle going, Hey, can I come on this road trip with you? And you're like, it's the day we're leaving and we're going to be away for a month. And it's a, it's a, it's just me and my two friends. Like it's a, it's this tripod. This is special to us. Can I come with you? And that's what it's like him jumping into the Spider-Verse. Him jumping into the MCU is like, hey, can I be at your 30th birthday party? I mean, uncle, uh, it's going to be mostly 30 year olds and you're 50. <laughs> and I mean, oh, that's fine. I'm young at heart. And it's like, he's this old jock who never really grew up and still that's like his favorite thing is to get drunk and loud at parties mm. and like him entering the mcu is like him saying hey can i officiate at your wedding nephew and you're like Ugh. and he goes Fum, and then holds up the certificate and he's actually got a fucking priest's license somehow and you're like how would you do that and he's like i was a captain of a ferry they're allowed if they're boat captains and i'm like have you got be on a boat funny you should say that your wedding will be on this ferry and you're like uncle venom please could you not hijack this everything, everything. <laughs> it's fine 
I don't hate Venom. I feel like these two movies underachieved wildly. Mm. But they make people happy, and I, I mean, I, I can barely complain about that. I didn't have particularly anything invested in, in the character. I do think that it means a lot more when Peter has had the black costume in the past. But it feels like they're almost going to hop, skip, and jump over that as a concept, and they're just going to throw him into the Sinister Six to, again, dominate proceedings. Mm. We, we shall see. We shall see. From the sounds of it, it's going to be one of those many MCU movies that's delayed because Disney have realised they can't make the billion dollars they used to. Mm. Yeah. So really what we're waiting Because we're all living in the future now, and it sucks. What we're waiting for is for them to realise that they will never again make the billion dollars that they were used to. It's just a little pandemic. It's, it's still, still good. good. It's, it's still, still good. good. It's gone. I know. <laughs> when I was young, I never needed anyone. And making love was just for fun. Those days are gone. Living alone I think of all the friends I know When I dial the telephone Nobody's home All by myself Don't wanna be must remind you folks this song was not in venom 2 colon let there be carnage it just potentially could have been a great moment if it had been this is instead a fairly rocking cover by mass riot all by myself
And now for Morbius. Doctor? I should have died years ago. People all over the world have my disease. I'm here. To find a cure, we have to push the boundaries, take the risks. If you're gonna run, do it now. Morbius, you've been missing for two months. When you're a stranger, then you were found on a container ship that washed up off a Long Island. Faces look ugly when you're alone. What did you do to yourself, Doctor? I wish I knew. I went from dying to being more alive than ever. It worked. Not exactly. I have increased strength and speed and some form of bat radar. What else can I do? There are limits. There has to be. There's something inside of me. The hunt and consume blood. Michael. When you're strange, and you control it. I don't know. Half the city wants to kill you. We haven't had anything this good since that thing in San Francisco. The other half wants to control you. Hey, uh, Dr. Mike, you and I should stay in touch. I'd do anything to save a life. But I don't know what I'm capable of. You save lives, you don't take them. Are you here to heal the world? Or to destroy it? I'm just kidding. It's Dr. Michael Morbius at your service. Okay. <laughs> Morbius, the living vampire. Or I typed this in and my document corrected it to Mobius, as in the the creator of lots of Galactus art. So there is a, uh, a, a tie-in to uh, Marvel. The living vampire with a B. I'm like, that's, not that's not even a word. But okay. He's a vampire. 
So this is the film that nobody wanted with the star that nobody asked for. And it is the result uh, of a chain of desperation to make a Spider-Man cinematic universe, no matter how poorly each subsequent film is received. So this kind of began all the way back in 2007. Uh, Sam Raimi wasn't massively into the idea of doing Spider-Man 3, but the studio pressured him into uh, into doing it. He wasn't massively into the idea of getting uh, the black suit in there, but the studio pressured him into doing it. He wasn't massively keen on getting Venom in there, who is a completely different kettle of fish to just the black suit, as we've seen in a couple of movies, but they forced him to get Venom in there as well. So Spider-Man 3 was made via studio mandate. It had to be made, and it was hugely successful because people really, really like Venom. Then they made Amazing Spider-Man 1 because they had to keep the license, and that meant doing a Spider-Man film once every five years. Then they made Amazing Spider-Man 2 because they'd set up a big mystery around Peter Parker and they were like, maybe if we make Spider-Man 2 around setting up the Sinister Six, we can have a spin-off of the Sinister Six. And this was post-Avengers and and obviously the the first Amazing was the same year, practically within the, the same few months as the Avengers. And as soon as that happened, there was actually originally negotiations to see if they could maybe get... Stark Tower into that version of New York of the first Amazing. The idea being that maybe Sony and Marvel could play ball way back then. And uh, eventually uh, discussion on this particular matter broke down. And Marvel and Sony are really good on discussions on this particular matter breaking down. They're both assholes. Let's, Let's not get too defensive of corporations who aren't our friends. When it comes down to it, they're both greedy as fuck. Uh, It's just that Sony are a bit more desperate than Marvel. Around about the time of Amazing Spider-Man 2 coming out, Sony were posturing, and they were postulating, as well as posturing, that they could make all kinds of movies that people would want to see, all to do with the Spider-Man characters that everyone definitely would pay money to see. Venom was number one on their sheet. Like, people like Venom. You could do a Venom movie without Spider-Man. You could do a Sinister Six movie. Drew Goddard of uh, Cabin in the Woods and... Bad Times at the El Royale fame, was going to do that movie. So they made Spider-Man 3 into being, even though the creators didn't want to make it. They made Amazing Spider-Man, even though no one wanted another origin story for another Peter Parker. They made Amazing Spider-Man 2, even though people didn't particularly like Amazing Spider-Man 1. And then they shit-canned it, and people only liked it when that version of Spider-Man reappeared later in a unrelated film. But former toy magnate Avi Arad still hungers for properties. And Arad has been instrumental in greenlighting all Spider-Man related movies, good and bad. But they were talking about doing... I, I did write Dane DeHaan, but my spell checker changed him to Dane Dashboard. <laughs> <laughs> 
as the even greener goblin. Uh, <laughs> Or Colm Fiore as the vulture. That's not going to happen. I think he actually got killed in uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, no, wait a second. Electro, like, blasts him and then brings him back from the dead with yeah. his electro shocking. I don't know. Maybe that vulture was going to carry on. I don't know. But, or, or TJ. I couldn't remember his name. Who's uh, Ryan in the office? BJ Novak. Oh, I, I put TJ Max. <laughs> But he was Alistair Smythe. TJ Hooker, TK Maxx. <laughs> but he was Alistair Smythe, the one who created the Spider Slayers in Amazing 2. Not that you'd know that, but... Spider Slayers? Oh, they weren't in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, okay. He was just in Amazing right. Spider-Man 2. Okay, that's fine. Spider so Slayers. There's something in Amazing Spider-Man 2 that I should remember and don't. Okay, so these are all spider slayers. Okay. They look like big robot spider killing devices. Okay. It varies wildly. So these look like xenomorphs as well. Sentinels, but for Spider-Man. Yes, or aliens, or the brood. And Smythe himself ended up looking like that. Yeah. Very much a Tom DeFalco creation from the 90s. Oh, actually, he's got those kind of like iron spider talon things going on. He's got two of them as opposed to four. But yeah, they, they could have made a whole movie about Alistair Smythe and called it Smythe, but they didn't. They also could have done a Felicity Jones as the black cat Felicia Hardy because she was in Amazing Spider-Man 2 and they were like, oh, we're getting our six together. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of had Dr. Octopus arms in the cabinet and, like, some sand that was going to be Sandman or something. <laughs> I don't know, a green stripey jumper. What was in the cabinets, we can't remember. Michael Massey walked past them. Uh, but they also even pitched an Aunt May movie. <sighs> in retrospect, Sally Field said that the Amazing Spider-Man films were a ton of shit, and she just turned up and, and uh, you know, delivered her bits for the role, but uh, didn't, didn't seem like that they'd uh, be recruiting Sally Field as Aunt May to, to show her spy background or whatever. I think that was... <sighs> that was just one of those hypotheticals that, that Sony put on the bargaining table of, oh, we, we, we could do plenty of movies. But since then... Kevin Feige has allowed them to start creating their own Marvel what, spider... I, 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 I'm loath to say Spider-Verse, because that's connected to the Spider-Verse, which is a very high-quality film that may indeed yet give us two very high-quality follow-ups, because Spider-Verse Part 2 is in fact a Part 1 and Part 2, so it's a Part 2 and Part 3. It's confusing. Anyway... So, so, what do we call it? The, the, the spider world? It's been proven uh, via both Venom 2 and Spider-Man No Way Home that, uh, that this they are not actually in the MCU. They are a separate dimension. And that is compounded at the end of this film. But Morbius, the living vampire, exists, one assumes, in the Venomverse. Ah, that's what we shall call it, the Venomverse. Okay. Because we don't know which version of Spider-Man is there. If any, this could be a universe in which Spider-Man does not exist. He gets mentioned once in this, and no, no, the response is not, who? So, one assumes there is a Spider-Man, TBD. Instead, this is Bat Scientist Begins. <laughs> Bat 
Jared Leto, the man who has his own cult following, and I mean that quite literally, he had a cult following him. And not in a kind of a creepy, get this cult away from me way, but in a, let's all go to our private island and hear what I have to say kind of way. As in Jared Leto actually did that, not yes. the, the character. Not the character, no. That would actually be a bit more interesting than his character. Okay. Reading up on it, it's annoying and boring and seems kind of like the fire Festival, only Jared Leto's actually there delivering his sermons to the... Uh, two. Is it $2,000 ahead to, to, to attend his private gatherings? It's it's rich young white kids. Let's face it, folks, with fuck all to do. And uh, I believe he retreated there when COVID first broke out to be away from everybody else. Um, where can I go to retreat from Jared Leto? Because he seems <laughs> to be question. everywhere. He's turning up in movies left, if right, and centre. If I pay him two thousand dollars, will he go away? <laughs> okay. Bad scientist begins. Is what remains of this movie? after what appears to be a really choppy edit, which turned it into a film of sorts. It's not so incoherent that you're like, what the fuck is going on? Cause it's kind like you, it's got a fairly straightforward through line and it's not all that complicated, but I could tell watching it at an hour and 45 minutes, there was a good 15 minutes of stuff that either complicated things too much or went down into storylines they didn't want to explore in the end uh, or was actually just genuinely contentious uh, and that they were like, let's just scissor that out, hope nobody asks, put this out, just maybe forget about it. <clears throat> One thing I know for sure, there are two things that when I first saw the trailer I was like, this is so fucking moronic to put out this trailer during the pandemic. One of them is that he seems to get his powers from bats. That's definitely in the film, but it seems to be bats plural, where it's that he's talking about vampire bats can can take down something many, many times their own size. So the first time we meet him, he's on this he's taken a helicopter to Bat Island. And he goes to a bat cave, and they they go. So so, what are you going to do here? And he goes, I'm just going to see the bats. And he cuts his hand, and they're like, How are you going to get the bats out here? And he sort of holds up his hand, and it's bleeding. That's I think the only blood you actually see in this film. And then the bats fly out, and like if you can imagine, he sort of like stands up amid the swarm, and a load of bats fly past, and I'm like, I'm Sure, I've seen this in some other film. It'll come to me. <clears throat> Cut to 25 years earlier, when Jared Harris, do you remember the guy who played Moriarty in the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes? Yes. And older Will Robinson in Lost in Space. Mm -hmm. He was in Happiness. He's tending to uh, the young Michael Morbius in a research hospital. Michael Morbius has some kind of blood disorder and he's being studied and then another boy turns up on... They're both on crutches and, and he's in a bed. And Michael goes, oh, hey, how's it going? Milo. And this kid's like, my name is Lucian. He's like, nah, you're Milo. Same as the last guy was Milo. And the last guy before him, Milo. And actually, I can't even remember the first Milo. And it's like, oh, the kids who've been um, sleeping next to him uh, in this particular hospital room have all died, sadly, of their disabilities and diseases. 
And so or they've got better and moved on and he hasn't. Yeah, and it's like, oh, this is characterisation. We never see his parents, by the way. We never see mummy or daddy. Effectively, Jared Harris, the doctor, is the closest that, uh, that he has to a dad. And uh, this new Milo uh, kid goes, oh, for fuck's sake, and falls over dead. And <laughs> Michael gets up, you, uh, unscrews a ballpoint pen, and uses the small spring in this medical device he's only just seen to bring Milo back to life. His real name is Lucian. That never gets mentioned again. And then Jared Harris says, brings him into his office and says, Michael, you are a genius. I can get you all kinds of grants. And then it cuts forwards to Michael about to get the award for best genius on the planet from the Nobel Company. And then it cuts to a little girl in a hospital bed going, I can't believe you snubbed the Nobel people. And it's like, well, that probably would have been a scene, but no. And Michael's like, oh, they're all a bunch of phonies or something like that. And she's like, Michael, I don't understand how you do it. You're the most intelligent man in the world and you're so cool and rad. So it's like, okay. This is sounding like a mighty boosh bit. It really like, it's not laughably bad, but it's like, okay, our hero is a scientist who is the cleverest person ever. He's like Tony Stark, uh, only his only weaknesses are, I think he works too hard. He's kind of obsessive like that. Uh, but he's severely disabled, so he has to get around on crutches. Luckily, later on, he will develop super strength, so he will be both the strongest and the smartest person in the world. But we cut back before that. I actually forgot a bit. When... um. He communicates by letter with Milo and, and, and sends him a, a, little, a little origami bat or something like that, uh, as, you know, when they're still boys and says, you know, we'll, we'll always be friends and da 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 da, we'll always stay in touch. And it's like, okay, this is about two boys, so that's, that's cool. And they've got a, a bond of friendship. And then this blows out the window and little Milo makes his way down the stairs to find it and finds a bunch of bullies who are like, ha ha, I like you. Oh, you've got a friend who's male. That's so gay. And then they beat the shit out of this poor kid with crutches. And honestly, I'm not going to discount that as impossible because it's got to have happened. But if you are disabled, especially if, if you know someone who's severely disabled, or if you are, please tell me... If you've ever had the shit kicked out of you by kids who are like, ah, we're just going to beat you up like a weak kid, as opposed to, I feel like this is an atrocity. <laughs> like, if a kid's on crutches, you don't knock him to the ground and then start kicking the shit out of him. But either way, um, be before that happens, uh, because they've taken his letter, uh, little Milo smacks one of the kids around the head with his crutch. And I'm like, oh shit, that kid dropped like a stone. Did he kill him? And Jared comes down and goes, oh, no, look what you've done. And then he gets up and starts beating up the corpse. And I'm like, oh, my God, did he kill that boy? Cut to the next bit. And it's like, okay, probably didn't do that then. I mean, maybe he killed him. Maybe he didn't. Either way, there's a rage in little Milo, whose real name is Lucian. But he's Milo now from now on. Even Jared Harris calls him Milo. And Mark Kermode pointed out that... Uh, Jared Leto is not only not the most interesting superhero vampire, he's not even the most interesting Jared in this film. As I said, uh, Dr. Coolenrad is studying bats because they get power from blood or something. He has this bat water feature in his laboratory, which is just across the way from this little girl who he's studying who has a rare blood disease. In the trailer, I distinctly recall he was... D dissecting one bat and it's like you know this is all coming from this one bat and that's the important thing and that doesn't sit well with the uh 
coronavirus deriving from a bat, does it? I Makes it the kind of thing you can't really release. It does seem a little bit timely. I, I don't know how accurate that story proved to be. But yeah, the, the but it kind of it doesn't story, matter whether it was true or yeah, not. But if the everyone the story of coronavirus was that it came from somebody who ate a bat. Yes. And considering there were certain people who were stopping drinking corona beer, you can get all kinds of misinterpretations from mixed messages. Uh, and unfortunately, if you release a bat-themed vampire movie, that's what it's going to make everybody think. Of. Yes. Uh, there's also the line in the trailer, what if the cure is worse than the disease, which doesn't sit well with anti-vaccination. How far are we allowed to go? To fix something that's broken. Until the remedy... <laughs> ...is worse than the disease. Luckily, that's not in the movie. Bravo! Though no matter how much they cut out of it, the movie is still very much on the side of, ah, science gone mad. This is what happens if you let medical scientists test on humans. I mean, that's what's happening with us. We're all being tested on. I'm doing my own research. Did you know they put microchips in you? You can laugh, Alex, but they eat swans. Scientists do eat swans. Anyway, so he's got this bat water feature, which is like a, a bunch of turbulent bats flying around in the middle of a pipe, uh, a sort of a glass case, and they never stop. They're just flying around and around and around. Now, I was led to believe that bats stop and roost, but there's nowhere for them to roost. They can just, like, they can, if they want, they can keep flying or they can drop down dead, but there's nowhere for them to go. They just got to keep on flying around the place, but it looks cool. Okay. Anyway, so he injects a mouse with bat blood or something. And it grows wings? No, it just goes, ah, and dies. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, he, uh, the, the kid across the way um, goes, oh, for fuck's sake, and then starts dying. And then they run into the kid, and uh, then he ha they have to induce a coma, otherwise she's going to die of a stroke. And then his friend and assistant, Martina Bancroft... Uh, who's another doctor, and it's honestly is treated quite well in the movie. Like she's she has her own agency, her own ideas. Um, she uh, does get kidnapped, but you know what are you going to do? It's a fucking Sony film. After they've induced the coma, she turns around and looks, and the mouse is up and he's washing his his uh, paws, and it's like, oh, it worked. He's back to life again. We then cut to Jared Leto being injected in the spine with this stuff, but we never go back to the little girl. And I know that there was something that happened to that little girl. Like, he, had, he brought the mouse back, so he's like, right, I'm going to test it on me, and then I'll test it on the little girl if I don't die. But because it turns him into a vampire, obviously, uh, he decides not to test it on the little girl. But it just feels odd, like... The little girl's there as a sort of a save the cat moment so that we're like, he's there for research. He wants to help kids. Mm. He's also the smartest man in the world and also so cool and rad. And his only weakness is he works too hard. Did I... Have I already defined him? Because Okay, well, that's it. That's that's all we got. Yeah. No, 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 I'm getting that. Um, does the mouse turn into a vampire? It doesn't turn into a vampire mouse. Mr. Trick! Indeed. Mr. Totally. Trick. The faculty did that. Remember, it, it, yeah. it turned into a weird mouse. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I like mice doing weird things. 
Okay, then. Now, it is noteworthy that when we saw when I saw Black Widow, everyone went dead silent and paid total rapt attention to it. Mm. With uh, Eternals, it was a bit more kind of rowdy. With Shang-Chi, it was quiet and focused again. With Spider-Man, the whole audience were unified. They were so into it. With this one, there were two girls in front of me. One of them was on her phone the whole time. The whole movie. They said to each other, today, we have got to go and see Morbius because I need a film that I can look at my phone during for an hour and 45 minutes. I must, must, must see the new Jared Leto so that I can look at my phone. And honestly, it didn't bother me that much. I was like, you are my little canary down the mine. You show me how unengaging this film is. And it was the whole way. The whole way. She occasionally put it away and then got it back out again. Like It was like, oh, is this turning into a big dramatic scene? I didn't really. I'm going to get it back out. I honestly considered sort of moving in and rather than saying, could you please turn your phone off? Just like looking at her phone and she'd be like, what? I'm like, it's more interesting than this, love. Um, <laughs> because ultimately, like, if she's going to take my attention away from the screen with her flashing fucking phone and she's messaging her friends the whole time she now is providing me with the entertainment and i think that's fair if you're gonna look at your phone other people get to look at your phone too (laughs) especially not a bad idea could you put on spider-man no way home (laughs) just 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 thought just thought can you just can you check bbc news for me I just want to see what's going on outside this bit. He goes to visit Milo, who's now grown up, and is Matt Smith. Matt Smith has not had a great Hollywood career yet. Can you think of any film he's been in? Matt Smith hasn't had a Hollywood career yet. There you go. Uh, He was in Terminator Genesis, do you remember? Was he? This is the Doctor Who Doctor. Yeah, no, 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 I know who you mean, but I do not remember him being in Genesis. He talked in interviews like, my character is very mysterious. As it turned out, he was... So mysterious, we know nothing about him. As it turned out, he was like a T-1000 or something, and just as Jai Courtney went forward back in time, gotta get back in time, he, like, stabs John Connor or something, who's played by Jason Clarke. So Matt Smith attracts people that I don't like watching on screen. Jason Clarke, Jai Courtney, and in this case, Jared Leto. I need to watch Last Night in Soho. It was only on for like two days at my Odeon and it was chucking down with rain both times. But Matt Smith is in that. It's an Edgar Wright thriller to do with time travel and ghosts or something. I need it. Matt Smith has a personality, which is more than could be said of Jared Leto. He's a little bit like Lee Carter in... Son of Rambo. Okay. Will Poulter is that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like, he's more cocky and a bit more fun with a dry acerbic humour. It's There's no good lines for him to say. He's just taken hold of this character and he's trying to have fun with it. So he and Michael Morbius talk about, uh, like, Michael's research and how it might change their their conditions and perhaps uh, give them like, they're both still on crutches very very fragile maybe we can i i can think my way out of it from the, as, from the looks of it milo has simply stayed in his house his whole life and you know grown a dark sense of humor like kind of like jude law in gattaca as well mm-hmm. but um, there's no sadness to it which is a real shame because you could get a lot of pathos out of these two characters a lot 
They keep uh, referencing that they are the Spartans, the few against the many. So they're two disabled guys who are going to kill everyone in the world. Wait, what? Cut immediately to a research tanker. What? A research tanker. Okay, Michael's doing his experiments there. He gets injected in the spine. Okay, I didn't know why it had to be on a tanker. And then it gets invaded by mercenaries. What? About eight mercenaries. I don't understand. Eight mercenaries. And then he turns into a vampire and kills eight mercenaries. And his friend, the doctor, gets knocked out and doesn't witness him turning into a vampire. Oh, no. He's running around the room smashing things. And she's like, Michael, you're hurting yourself. Because, like, now he can flash about the place. And he turns into a, 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 a piece of CGI, wibbly-wobbly goo stuff and spends a percentage of the movie that's higher than 20 of the rest of the movie, turning into this wibbly grey thing, which is their version of a vampire. So rather than it being uh, very much uh, Ron Perlman makeup and performance through the makeup, it's very much Jared later goes, ah, and his face is assisted by computers to give him a big stretchy gob and like crazy eyes. And there's a lot. It's very. There is a lot of that in this movie. A lot of zooming about the place and there is an insincerity of faux gothic tragic hero about this character as played specifically by Jared Leto. There wouldn't be if he was a different actor. Um, Let me paint you a picture if you're mostly Generation X like me and Sharon. Morbius, when transformed, looks like Rob Zombie if he tried to join the Spin Doctors. Conversely, when he isn't transformed, he looks like the spin doctor's trying to join White Zombie. For millennial listeners, he looks like if Wes Bentley made a very thin, very white wrestler of himself in WWE 2016. If you're a boomer, imagine Charlie Manson, but with the dress sense of Dame Edna Everidge. And if you're Gen Z, he looks like if an Instagram of a fedora was dropped in a bowl of mushroom soup. Now, when I was 18... I did a trailer in my media studies class for a comic at the time drawn by Humberto Ramos called Crimson, where I kind of, it was just a bunch of vampire imagery of of this kid who had now been turned into a vampire. And most of the imagery, when put together with O Fortuna, which was a big trailer piece from the 90s, uh, just kind of made it look like he was really pissed off about being a vampire and very, ah, do I kill or do I not? And that's the movie. And it looked like a really boring trailer because it's like there's no conflict here and there's no story here. He is a scientist and now a vampire. And that's what the trailer for Morbius was. They never showed who he was up against, if there was a villain at all, or what conflict he's facing. It was just like, oh my god, imagine if I was a vampire, how bad would that be? And it's like, I don't know, there have been loads of vampire films, you've got to offer more than that. As it turns out, Matt Smith also becomes a vampire, and it is in fact him versus Milo. And the dynamic is, Matt Smith is fun-loving and predatory and, like, when we just, like, do what we can with our amazing new bodies and eat people. And uh, Michael's like, no, I am moralistic and upright and I do not want to kill. And I'm like, oh, so it's Interview with the Vampire. And we're focusing on Louis again. But it's a really boring Interview with the Vampire <laughs> He is not Lestat. He has a... Matt Smith's character, um, Milo, 
just doesn't have that. He doesn't have Tom Cruise's presence, as you know, as much as I love Matt Smith. But he also doesn't get any of Tom Cruise's great lines or all of those fantastic costumes and that music and the and all of the stuff that happens in Interview with a Vampire. All of those attachments. What effectively just unfolds is Michael gets blamed for a bunch of deaths because uh, um, Tyrese Gibson, her, who's uh, Roman in the Fast and Furious films turns up as a cop, and he's playing a very specific kind of cop. It's the cop you get in a TV show like Dexter or Green Arrow, um, where it's just called Arrow, isn't it? Is it called Arrow? Yeah. I can't even fucking remember. No, it is Green Arrow. Fuck it. Um, the TV series is called Arrow. Yeah. Okay. But it's it's that kind of show where you get a boring, straight-laced, black cop, usually with very, very short hair, who's a bit of a stick in the mud, and he's after our anti-hero, who's much more interesting. And he's going to get him, and he's always behind. So it, there is this kind of, like, cat and mouse thing. you got to have this guy chasing Morbius. But the thing is, Morbius can fly and smash through walls and isn't weak to sunlight or anything. So I'm not sure what a policeman with a gun can do. <laughs> He's immortal. And ultimately, the, the only thing that uh, um, Michael f- has as a weakness is he has to drink blood. And he either drinks synthetic blood, which is in blue packets, or there's the red stuff, which he doesn't want to drink because that'll uh, remind him of the time he lost his shit on that ship that we never had. Ex- well, not that I needed it ex- explained, but very clearly there was some reason why he was on that ship and some reason why mercenaries were after him question mark okay. oh when you said tanker you meant like a, a, a ship type tanker. yeah you were thinking driving oil tanker yes no no it's in the middle of the fucking sea okay yeah that makes a bit more sense yeah, I mean not a lot more sense but a bit more sense but yeah Tyrese finds an origami bat on the floor and holds it up like a fucking batarang and is like I reckon this guy has a thing for bats and he's gonna nail Michael Morbius he's like I heard you like origami and you definitely killed these people with your vampire powers and Michael's like I'm Jared Leto and I'm 40 years old and I'm wearing a hoodie (laughs) I'm gonna attack a police officer and run away there's a newscast at one point which says three people have been found dead in this area of New York ish And this was Matt Smith went out on the town and uh, tried to pick up a girl. And then a guy was like, oh, 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 Artar. And then he was like, fine. And then left the club, waited for them to come out and then jumped on them. And in a very PG-13 way, killed them off camera. But with a stretchy face. Because this is a PG-13 vampire film. So exactly like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Twilight, not a spot of blood may be shown. If there's blood, it has to be black. And he got caught on closed-circuit television camera. So the police look at this and go, that's definitely not Michael Morbius then. Because that is definitely not Jared Leto. That is, in fact, Matt Smith looking up at the camera and going, ah! Rather than looking up at the camera and going, oh, shit, and then flying up and smashing it because it's a camera! Smith as the doctor 
killed somebody by mistake. Realised a camera was there. Went, oh shit, sorry. <laughs> and then scuttled off to the left. But yeah, the newscast says the prime suspect is Michael Morbius and shows a picture of the most famous doctor in the world who's now been accused of killing loads of people even though there is no evidence that he killed anyone before. And then the newscaster goes, although this closed-circuit television camera does show that someone else entirely did it, so it's probably a copycat. A copycat what? Vampire? A copycat of this person who still has not been charged with murders! Oh, that's not how anything works at all. Well, we kind of need the movie to go that way, so I'd appreciate if you got up off my back about it. <sighs> it is a stupid film. And it takes a lot of leaps and says, bear with us, but not well. It doesn't communicate with its audience. It kind of, it's weird. Like, I started to feel like sometimes films just play out on their own inside a box and you are there and you can see them, but it's like a tree falling in the woods. Like Schrodinger's movie. The film would happen. No, it's the tree falling in the woods. If Would, would anyone know if Morbius happened at cinemas? Yes, the girl who came in to look at her phone the whole time would know. I think she'd be aware, roughly, that a film had occurred. But you know what I mean about, like, a film is not communicating to an audience. Mm. It's not putting itself out to you and asking you to feel anything. It's not asking you to feel any kind of moral conflict. It's not asking you to relate to any of these characters. It's just there to deliver the pieces of a movie, at least things that look that feel like the pieces of a movie, in pellet form... Just so that it can be enough of a movie and say, give us cash for yeah, this. Because it's a Marvel say, IP and that'll do. On the art product spectrum, it leans much more heavily in the product direction. Oh yeah, it's a product. But it's not even an efficient product. Oh, well, products don't have to be efficient, my darling. A lot of them don't even do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. At least this, from the sounds of things... Images on screen moved with sound accompanying them, which at least qualifies it to be called a movie. Ah, even the worst MCU movie is still miles better than this. I think my, my least favourite is probably still Ant-Man and the Wasp, but this makes Ant-Man and the Wasp look like Civil War. They had these deep wells of lifelong pain to draw from, and they don't. They had the potential to really make us feel for these two guys who had grown up their whole lives feeling like they weren't even really human, and now they've gone straight past what it feels like to be human, and they're now superhuman. So, I mean, if anything, you've got kind of a, like, chronicle feel to it, and they could explore that in a different way again. You remember that movie with Michael B. Jordan and Dane Dashboard? There's a point where they have a fight uh, on what is clearly the London Tube. And I'm like, oh, we're in London. I think I, I may actually, is that Brixton? I may have actually been in that tube station. And then a couple of New York cops come down and go, hey, buddy, put your hands in the air. And I'm like, what? oh, yeah, he just picked up a Daily Bugle. This is not supposed to be London at all. Why are we on the London Tube? Hey. Filmed a lot of it in the UK, I think. It would appear so. Maybe because of tax breaks. I think it was filmed pre-pandemic, because otherwise they wouldn't have had all of that bat-related stuff in there, would they? They might have finished it. They, they definitely finished it in terms of visual effects after the pandemic. Mm. But it's been sitting around for a while. Uh, but, like, when he goes, like, he, they, they're in the middle section when you, you branch off on left and right... And he goes to one of the, the tube lines, and it's, it's a completely empty platform, like you never get in London in the middle of the day. You would, li like, 
it's it never happens. It never happens. And like maybe late at night at like eleven o'clock when there's the last few trains because there's always still a big rush for the 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 last ones, you know, to get people out of concerts and football matches. <clears throat> but all the walls are covered in like red and yellow and green panels, and it's like that's just covering all of the British adverts. <laughs> For L'Oreal and shit. And it, I felt for Tyrese Gibson because obviously his his persona in the uh, um, Fast and Furious films is like, he started off as like, oh, you know, I've got rage issues, but I'm also funny with that as well. And over time it became, I'm the punching bag for all of these punchlines. And, you know, Roman's a bit of a twit and uh, Ted makes fun of him. So now he's trying to be a grown-up character and he is just handed this boring TV trope of a... I'm a boring detective. And then at, at some point, it feels like the police have no bearing on this movie. And then they just stop. And it's like, he doesn't even have as much impact on the movie as Joey Pants playing Ben Urich in the 2003 Daredevil film. This, I mean, compared with this, Daredevil had a really, like, well-crafted arc throughout the movie. Uh, going from... I'm not the bad guy, while a kid cries in the corner, I might be the bad guy, to being, I'm not going to kill you, Kingpin, because that would make me the bad guy. It's clumsy, but it'll do. Morbius starts and finishes the movie with the exact same moral code. He just now has vampire powers. Again, this is, this is the shape of a movie with people in it that are acting like it's a movie. But everything about it is merely to facilitate the environment of a movie, the, the conditions of a movie, so that it will gather money and people will come to see this Marvel legend, as it's being called. Is it going to gather money? I, I don't think so. Is this coming weekend counted as its opening weekend? Yes. Okay. Uh, they waited several weeks after The Batman came out. Yeah. It's noteworthy, by the way, that Marvel launched Moon Knight on Wednesday... Mm. Uh, several days before this, we just saw Moon Knight in before we started talking about this, the first episode. It is so much more interesting than watching Morbius. This weekend, if you haven't yet seen Moon Knight, there are about a hundred other things in your house that you could be doing instead of going out to see Morbius. It should really be straight to streaming, because this film, people will probably be permanently made sick, like they'll they'll have breathing problems for the rest of their lives. Or uh, someone mentioned earlier today their, their roommate now has no sense of taste because they caught COVID. Or they might straight up die as a result of going out to see Morbius this weekend. Statistically, a person will probably die on the way to the cinema just in traffic. I feel like certain films are just not worth it. Like, don't even release this. Put it out at home. You know, it's the conditions of a movie, but this should not be in cinemas. Not now. It is irresponsible to put out a movie where it's about a man trying to help people medically that will hurt people medically. It will help no one, because no one will like it, or draw anything from it. If you're disabled, I could imagine feeling really fucking offended by it, rather than feeling seen, rather than feeling included. At the Nobel Prize ceremony, Jared Harris's character says that Michael Morbius's research into blood diseases has saved more people 
than penicillin. No. 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 You can't be that stupid and get to write a script. You can't be that stupid and get to write a script. For a long time. (laughs) Good God. How many lives has penicillin saved? 200 million, apparently. Penicillin became the most effective life saving drug in the world, conquering diseases such as tuberculosis, gangrene, pneumonia, diphtheria, and scarlet fever. It effectively eradicated a whole bunch of things that killed Victorians dead all the time. It made Alexander Fleming an international hero for discovering it, and they're the basis of antibiotics, which save 200,000 American lives annually. This was cultured in the 1920s, so that means that Fleming has practically a hundred year head start on this little goit, and Fleming received the Nobel Prize. This is information I managed to find in one and a half minutes on Google, (laughs) which makes it feel like Matt Sazama and Burke Sharpless. Burke is a British name meaning numpty, fool, idiot, and Sharpless is the best name for an idiot writer. These guys wrote Dracula Untold. Fucking terrible Dracula film. The Last Witch Hunter. Fucking terrible Vin Diesel witch hunting movie. Gods of Egypt. Fucking terrible Egyptian mythology movie. Power Rangers. Actually, I quite like that one. Story only. And Morbius. How can you only have written five horribly received films that no one liked and still get work? It feels like they specifically either ignored the history of penicillin or went out of their way to go, fuck you, Alexander Fleming, this is the new guy. Directed by Daniel Espinosa, who directed Life, which is rotten rubbish. It feels like Sony were desperate to throw money down a hole and go, let's get writers who can't write, directors who can't direct, a star who has no screen presence and is genuinely obnoxious in real life. And a fucking composer who's just copying Hunt Zimmer. And if he has saved more than 200 million lives, then the news and the cops and the entire medical community, it seems, are absolutely prepared to throw him under the bus based on no evidence for being connected with the deaths of eight unknown mercenaries on a ship and accused without evidence of the murder of a nurse who he's worked with for seven years. Poor Michael, it must suck being the most special boy, and yet everybody hates you. Special medicine boy! He's the best medicine boy. He's the perfect vampire boy. (laughs) (laughs) It's also noteworthy, by the way, that Jared Harris looks the same 25 years ago as he does in the present day. It's also really difficult to be a film that's this dumb that has no laughs in it. Like, it's not fun to watch. I don't don't think it was ever going to be. But that trailer I talked about, that I made, that's just, like, that that was going nowhere. That's what this film is, really. It's, he's not all that chuffed about being a vampire, and his friend is now a bad vampire doing bad things. Matt Smith keeps going, Michael, Michael. Which makes... The Lost Boys, the manual for new vampires to work out things to do to fuck with people. Because that was a direct quote from The Lost Boys that Kiefer Sutherland did. But also, would you like some peschetti? You're eating worms from (laughs) what we do in the shadows. I mean, if if you're going to follow 
a vampire movie, mm. then there's worse ones to pick. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so the doctor lady gets kidnapped and Matt Smith's like, ha, 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 now I'm going to really hurt you. And then uh, Morbius uses his echolocation, he's like a dolphin, to, uh, to find out where she is and flies down to what appears to be you know those disco floors that have lights that point straight upwards? It's all red on one side and all white on the other. To illustrate, you can go either one way or the other, Michael. Which way will he go? Will he be evil or will he be good? So anyway, his girlfriend's been uh, horribly, brutally uh, killed and is, is dying and bleeding out. And, uh, is she on the red floor or the white floor? She's half... going to be easier to clean. She's halfway across both. Okay. And then she's like, oh, earn this. And then gives him a kiss, bites his lip and goes, mmm, I die. And I'm like, that's the weirdest death scene I've ever seen. That's so weird. I mean, I know exactly what they're doing with that. She's going to turn into a vampire. Yeah, and Michael should have gone, oh, no, shit. I mean, can my blood do that? Maybe? It's it's never proved in the movie. He doesn't accidentally create any other vampires. If it, if it is there going to be a moment where he goes, you mean I had that shit injected directly into my spine? <laughs> I could have just drunk it. Oh, yeah, just knocked it back like the Green Goblin. Then hotboxed it in a chamber of your own green farts, just like Willem Dafoe. Uh, so anyway, he goes and fights Matt Smith. It's in a warehouse. And then at one point, he summons all of his bats from his bat water feature. And then all these bats swarm around. And it's like... No other movie I can think of which has loads of swarms of CGI bats. Penicillin doesn't give you the ability to command mushrooms. <laughs> if you eat the right mushrooms, it does. <laughs> Although you'll just be standing there shouting at fungi and people will be like, What is wrong with him? He's on mushrooms. Oh. Um, I am the Lord of Mold! <laughs> That's what happened to Lance Henriksen in uh, Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> so they have a fight. He kills his friend and his friend goes, oh, I die. And then he flies off and like they are so desperate in this finale. Like they, he's flying off there across the city. It's actually at one point when he jumps out of the window of a prison, he's wearing an orange jumpsuit and he's kind of a, an orangey streak across the sky. But it was... Screen 3 at the local Odeon, and I, we have established that Screen 3 crushes all colours and contrast, and it made The Eternals look terrible, it made all those Disney films look terrible, it made this look terrible. So usually Sony actually are pretty good at contrast, but this looked all soft and grey and shitty, and the, like, the, the flashes of orange were maybe the only fun bits in the entire movie, visually Should, should we maybe write to the Odeon and say mm. you might want to sort out the colour balance? Matt's... I was watching it and thinking, this is one of the worst films of the year. One of the worst superhero films I've ever seen. Superhero, Marvel-related properties I've ever seen. Mm. Um, and yet it's still not quite as bad as some things that really upset me because they are taking things that I really care about and fucking with them. I don't care about Morbius. Nobody cares about Morbius. So it was weird watching a film where I didn't like anything. Matt Smith was kind of fun sometimes. And frankly, it was just nice to see him on screen. He just deserves to be in a, a Ryan Johnson mystery or something like that instead. Something much quirkier than this. So the end credits music sounds almost exactly like Vespertillo, named after a type of bat. The uh, James Newton Howard and uh, Hunt Zimmer Batman Begins music. Oh, Batman Begins, that's the one. 
And there's loads of bats flying around the place. And Morbius is flying around in the air. Now he's a vampire and he has decided to not kill people and drink their blood. And since he has access to artificial blood that doesn't necessitate killing anyone in these fancy little medical Capri Suns he carries around with him, this was a decision he absolutely made in the middle of the movie. It was never, ever, ever in doubt. And then the girlfriend wakes up, oh, I've got vampire eyes. And that should probably have been the stinger, but they fold it into the flying aroundy bit at the end because they've got two more stingers. <sighs> Cut to like over Manhattan Harbor, that rift from Spider-Man Nowhere Home opens. Michael Keaton disappears from his jail cell in the MCU where he's been for at least six years unless he disappeared and reappeared during the snap and the blip, in which case he's probably only served one year for stealing various Stark tech. And if that's the case, then he disappears again and reappears in the Venomverse in another jail cell <laughs> and goes, huh, figures I'd be in a jail cell anyway. <laughs> and then the news, the very helpful news say, and Adrian Toomes was released from prison today because he was never locked up in the first place. We don't even know who Adrian Toomes is. Some more credits. And then Morbius drives his electric car out to the middle of the desert in the middle of the night. And the vulture flies down and goes, something, 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 Spider-Man. Maybe we should team up. Do some good. So I'm like, it's not so much even the Sinister Six anymore, is it? It's, it's like, it's the, it's the Spectacular Six. So they'll need Venom, obviously, because he's the big bucks. And the movie will thus become all about him. As we said, Venom is your uncle. Kind of like a fun uncle. Kind of like an uncle who's too fun. And then they're going to need three more guys. I don't know, Puma, uh, Hydro Man, Rocket Racer. Fine, fuck it. The spectacular Splendid Six. Another thing I noticed was because of the end credits of Eternals, I was like, ah, Mahershala Ali's voice as Blade. We still haven't seen him, but that's going to be its own TV show. It made me think, Morbius isn't actually a vampire. Like, we know this to be true. Like, if you, if you watch the original Spider-Man cartoon from the 90s, they had to kind of adapt his character from the comics into a version that could be shown on TV. So instead of blood, he drinks plasma. And instead of biting you, he sucks it out of you with his hands. <laughs> He had like a blue mullet. He's but not they a... call him the living vampire because he's not dead. Yeah. But in the Marvel 616 comic universe, Dracula exists. He and Blade tussled. He still owes Moonlight 50 bucks. <laughs> Fucking nerd. And he turns up and says things like, you are not a vampire, sir. Stop claiming That's it. it. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a science-created, um, unfortunate... Uh, individual who is now, a, uh, you know, compelled to feed himself very much like well, the, the Sandman. He's a Spider-Man villain. All Spider-Man's villains are victims of laboratory experiments gone wrong. I mean, the the plasma thing makes the least sense because in vampire myth, generally there's some indication that they need to drink human blood because otherwise they become hideously anemic and die. Yeah. Plasma doesn't have haemoglobin in it, so you wouldn't get the thing that's in blood that vampires tend to need. But Blade made me think of Udo Kier, actual vampire, going, 
Our livelihood depends on our ability to blend in. And all of that ancient vampire culture you got there. I'm like, man, it would be so much cooler if Morbius was actually a vampire as opposed to a science experiment gone wrong. Mm -hmm. Because if he's a science experiment gone wrong, we're very much reliant on Jared Leto's personality to carry the character. And he doesn't have one. Yeah. Although I do then kind of like the idea of him being in the Bladeiverse, but having, like, the vampires don't want him because he's clearly not a vampire, mm. and the humans just think he's weird. I see, now I feel sorry for poor Morbius. <laughs> I, he's got no friends. I don't know whether he'll turn up again. If he turns up again, it feels like it'll just be to make up the numbers with a familiar face, mm. but it feels like this movie is cursed. Like, no one wanted it. It's a joke. And I did some checking up on numbers, by the way. Uh, Venom, the first one, ended up at 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was not well received. Mm -hmm. However, Venom Let There Be Carnage was a lot better received, if you recall. Uh, It uh, got 58%. Not glowing, but a definite jump up. I personally prefer the original Venom. I mean, all of the the, the Venomverse films have this, we've knocked this together and chopped away the stuff that we didn't want to be in the movie. And now it's, it's got the basic tenets of... There's a grey guy running around the place who's... It's not going to be a boring soup. Chicken and celery is just the base of a soup. You have to add other stuff. Carrots and celery. Carrots and celery, that's it. Yes. It's the carrots and celery of Marvel (laughs) movies. You have to add other stuff, and this does not have that other stuff. Okay, so 58% for Maximum Carnage. 30% 30% for Venom. I was thinking, like, what, racking my brains for worst Marvel movies. I was like, at least leave DC out of it. Let's, like, worst Marvel-related products. And most of the... Like, The Eternals, if you recall. Let's check The Eternals, actually. That had a really low... That was the lowest MCU score. It was even lower than Thor The Dark World, wasn't it? Yeah. Which is just wrong. <laughs> wrong? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I often disagree with Rotten Tomatoes. I agree. 47%. Yeah. So slightly lower than Venom 2. But, you know, if, if, if uh, critics don't like it, critics don't like it. Uh, Ghost Rider Spirits of Vengeance. I was like, that was a fucking piece of shit movie. It still has that scraping at the door moment, which means it has one moment more than Morbius. Yes. Uh, I would say that's probably going to be somewhere in the 40s, early 40s. Oh, no. 18%. Woo! Yeah. Doggy! Uh, Morbius, currently 16%. Yikes! Oh my god! It does go lower. Not much lower. It can barely go lower, but it does. Below Morbius, critically speaking, Electra landed on 11%. Oh, yeah. Electra's bad. I can understand that. It's very bad. But at least Jennifer Garner's pleasant to look at. Michael, yeah. like. Jared Leto Jared doesn't Leto even have not. that. He's he's a he's an oily tick. Yeah. He's a little scrote. Mm. Don't like watching him. Cheers. Kind of ironic, really, that uh, Kat Stratford had a photo of him in her drawer, and that was taken as proof mm. that she was not a lesbian. And the first time I ever saw him, in fact, uh, in my so-called life, Claire Danes uh, was real like, with red hair, by the way. Hermana, hermana was really into Jared Leto, and he was singing uh, on his guitar and. He was a douche then. He's a douche now. He sang a song called I Call Her Red. And she's like, that must mean me. He was singing about his car. He's a tosser and she felt really sad as a result. And I'm like, there's better for you. And it's right here. 
It's anywhere. Yeah. Um, but there's lower somehow than Electra. No. I might still be able to find lower than this. I'm, I'm probably going to end up ranking all the Marvel films, including the MCU, okay. in my, my personal rank, not, not by tomatometer. Fantastic Four 2015. Is that the one with Michael B. Jordan? Yes. From the director of the aforementioned Chronicle. 9%. Similarly, like Fox fucked with it. They they chopped it up. Yeah. They forced reshoots. They changed the whole thing out from under it. They uh, it, it, it was a it was a running fight for Josh Trank who uh, ended up disowning the whole thing. Mm. So yeah, Sony could have done worse. They could have made Fanforstic. I mean, again, okay. Michael B Jordan and Kate Mara are pleasant to look at. Yeah. The thing looked okay. Played by Jamie Bell. Who was Mr. Fantastic in that thing? Oh, it's one of those boys with the black hair and the wan pale faces. Oh, uh, is it? Oh, it's God. the little drummer boy. I can't boy. pronounce any of their names. And and Elgore nope. something? No. Baby Driver? No. Nope. I can't even... Was he the kid who played Cyclops and Ready Player One? Is Miles that... Teller? He wasn't Ready Player One. Ready Player One was Baby Driver, wasn't he? No, that, that's Ansel Elcourt. Miles Teller is in Top Gun Maverick. Looking forward to that. Yay. Definitely he was in Fantastic, so that's so definitely yeah, him. He's, he's Mr. Fantastic. So who, what's the name of that guy who was Cyclops then in Ready Player One? Ty, Ty Sheridan. Sheridan. Look at him. <laughs> and it's appropriate because those guys are the carrots and celery of uh, <laughs> acting soup. Oh, dear. And I still feel like there'd have been more of a screen presence than Jared Leto as uh, Morbius. He's a lot less annoying than his turn as Joker. But I honestly feel like that that Joker in a film all on his own. Like, give him give him the Joker film that Joaquin Phoenix got. Oh. And just let him just do whatever the fuck he likes and give co- used condoms to whoever he wants to make the most obnoxious film ever. And let it be directed by Jared Leto as well. Because I, I feel and, like... And filmed. I feel like we're and already... He's also the sound guy. <laughs> we're already scraping the bottom of the barrel with this thing. I think you can go further. I think you can go deeper. I think you can get into the liquid hot magma beneath the surface of the earth to make the worst film ever. And Jared Leto's Joker is it. It's, it's a one-man show. He's sending used condoms to himself because no one else is in it. <laughs> oh, sweet Moses. Okay, so that's Morbius, folks. Don't see it ever. <laughs> <laughs> see, now I'm thinking I can't see this even when it comes to streaming because if I do, you'll have to watch it again. Yeah. Double billet with The Batman for a five-hour odyssey of me sleeping. <laughs> and I will explain myself on our main event show on The Batman coming very soon. Secret lair on Skullcrusher Mountain I hope that you've enjoyed your stay so far I see you've met my assistant Scarface His appearance is quite disturbing But 
I assure you he's harmless enough He's a sweetheart, calls me master And he has a way of finding pretty things
This makes Venom <laughs> like Spider-Man 2 by comparison. <laughs> My house party 2 Or House Party 4. <laughs> I wish Jared Leto had Kid and Play's career, because then we'd never have heard of him after 1998. She's still going. What is it now? No, it's just the fact that I sound so ridiculous when I laugh. It sounded like I was chewing a duck. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's I made a refund on my time and money. <laughs> <sighs>